12 of the Four Star Spurs podcast. I'm your host, Anthony. With me this week is John. Lovely to be with you, as always. Tommy. What's up? And Lucas. Hello, hello, hello. Well, happy Halloween, everybody. It's uh, nice to be with you guys, uh, I guess, on a kind of U.S. holiday. I don't I don't think it's uh, followed as much around the rest of the world, but, but always fun here to dress up. Um, we're not dressed up because we're here recording today. Um, well, we have right into these conversations. Um, so we didn't have an episode last week. Um, so we have kind of a lot to talk about it. And I think we're going to talk about it more in a general sense. Um, we kind of had this bad run of form, uh, starting with the, the man you away loss to, to nil. Um, and then followed up with the the on the weekend with the Newcastle home two one loss, um, and then we're going to roll that into this uh, sporting uh, draw that happened this past weekend. So the, kind of this disappointing run of form, um, and we have a question that kind of goes to that, which might be a good pl- starting point to uh, start the conversation. So Tommy, do you have that question queued up? Uh yeah. So Shubes' question is, are we struggling more um, as our defenders are struggling for composure under pressure or we lack the head gasket in midfield like uh, such as Luka Modric or Moussa Dembele? And is that what should we be targeting in the January window? Well, that's about four questions in one, isn't it? Um, which is very nice, but we'll try and answer them one at a time. I... Uh, I think the midfield needs to be bolstered. I like it when we play four in the midfield, but injuries have impacted that. Um, as far as the defense is concerned, I think if we got Romero in there, we're doing okay, but he's going to be, uh, he's out for tomorrow as well as being out for last week. So I'm not sure if we're talking about uh, uh, the, <laughs> um, if we're talking about the, the um, Hold on one second. Go to somebody else because I'm suddenly I've got a completely different picture on my screen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was my fault. I'll we'll deal with that later. Okay. <laughs> well, I I do I do think that um, we need some pieces and I, probably multiple pieces. And I know that that what's being thrown out there is the midfield uh, and. Uh, an additional defender. And I do think you always need a really strong defense with the Conte system. Um, but uh, I actually think it's, uh, we, we need a right wing back more than anything right now. Uh, especially if we don't think Spence is ready and he's probably not, he probably could use a loan and maybe see if next year he could be the answer. But if he's not the answer right now, then we're, we're, we surely need that position for the Conte system to work. Um, I also think that kind of what's, been going on a lot of that has to do with the injuries that we have in our attack right now um uh, without dan kuliszewski we're really kind of at a loss for creativity and for charleston getting hurt just uh compounded the issue because you don't even have like uh somebody that you can replace replace. Uh, lucas yeah, for me, for me, it starts at it starts and ends with the midfield because you have like with with Conte's system, you have the wingbacks and you have the midfield. You can't have neither. So if you don't have the strongest midfield, but you have dynamite 
wingbacks, that can be okay, or vice versa. Like, but the creativity has to come through somewhere, and it's. I, I think the defense gets thrown under the bus a little bit. Like, I know we'll come on to the Bournemouth game in a little bit, but even like our midfield, we had the three midfielders against Bournemouth, and their counterattacks, like our midfield, did nothing to try and break up their counterattacks. It was, it was so. It's so seamless for teams to just wade their way through our midfield and all of a sudden expose our back. And our back line isn't the best. They're not. I think they're. It's a strong back line. And Davis, like, uh, or you have like Ben Davis and Dyer and Romero and Langley, like there, and even Sanchez. When at certain times, like these are guys that we Conti clearly trusts, but these aren't guys that can just. They they still need some offer of protection from the midfield, and they don't get it. And I think the biggest thing in terms of this form that we've seen is the trend in like the last several games has been, it, it seems like because of we're, because we're playing so many games in such a short window of time, I feel like we're trying to spend like 30 to 40 minutes of just like shortening the game, if that makes sense. Like, I, I feel like we're trying to, cut out like a 30 minute chunk in the first half every game which is fine in theory but you can't make catastrophic mistakes if that's going to be your game plan and that's what that's been what we've been doing is like we've been trying to just kind of take it slow not really go but conserve our energy almost and then okay that's fine if, if that's the plan and then kind of come at them harder in the second half or something but if that's what we're going to do we can't allow these just brain farts and mental lapses where we concede a goal or in the Bournemouth case, two goals or against Marcus Edwards or United. Like we, we let these, we, we just have, if we have these mental lapses that at the back that are kind of throwing us under the bus. And a lot of it's been from Hugo as well. So it's, it, it's just a really weird strategy. And I think the main reason is because just, we have so many games and just not, we don't have the depth as a squad because of injuries. Um, I think you're right as far as the depth of squad, although it's much deeper than it's been in the past. But I read something very interesting from one of the players um, later uh, recently. And I think they were asked, why don't you play like you played in the second half? This was against Bournemouth um, all the time. And, they, and he said, well, we can't, we're not fit enough to be able to do that. We've I think it was to... Hugo that said it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Okay, then play like that in the first half and sub in people who are worn out in the second half. Don't give it away in the first half. Um, that would be my thought on that. Um, it seems a very odd tactic, but we've certainly seen it. And the difference in almost all of these recent games between the first half and the second half has been extraordinary. And, and you, you know that they must be told to do that. Well, yeah. I, think I mean, they wouldn't just a... go out by themselves and decide, oh, we're going to conserve our energy and we're not going to do much in the first half and we're going to make it up in the second. It, that, that doesn't sound like a reasonable coaching tactic to me. Well, it, it does seem like it's a bit of game management. And I know Conte's looking at this season as a whole. He's seeing that we do have... Um, match after match after match after match, and then we're going to have this World Cup break. And he's trying to get us 
across the line at the end of the season. And I, I think it certainly is his plan. Like take it easy. That first half, just don't lose the game in that first half. Um, and, and then come out in the second half and we win it in the second half, which is fine if it's a tactic. Um, but I don't think it's being executed very well right now. Um, uh, Lucas. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's not getting executed well. And the big thing is there's, there's two things. Like, a, you could go as kind of like what John said, how about give that effort and um, that just tenacity in the first half and then swap out as needed? I think I would prefer to see that because um, even against uh, Everton, we had um, – against Everton, we had that first, what, nine minutes where we came out and looked just balls to the wall, gave it everything, and then just kind of called the dogs off and didn't see anything for the next – 50 minutes or so in terms of that kind of effort and that kind of possession. Um, but so there's that way you can look at it. But the other thing is we could just rotate. And I think one of the big things is Conti doesn't have enough trust yet in a lot of these players. Uh, I mean, it, we, we, we just touched on Jed Spence. I think that's a big one where you could say, Oh, Spence isn't ready. But I, I mean, this is a guy we know, like that was clearly the game to give him a run out in Bournemouth, like that's a team that he saw last year. Like he was, that was a championship side that that he tore up the championship. So if ever there was a game, like I, I just, I don't get how you can keep running out Royale and saying, Oh, well, Spence isn't ready. It, it, any one of us four would give a better effort than Royale at this point. So I, I mean, and, and effort isn't the right word performance. I would say like, cause Royale does put in a shift and I give him props for that. But I, I mean, we just, I think one of the reasons that, we have this, we have to do this like balancing act of conserving our energy is because we just, I, I don't think Conti trusts that many guys yet. Well, Tommy, uh, uh, let's go to Tommy next and then back to John. Yeah. Uh, so Lucas kind of took the words out of my mouth. I mean, we've built depth per se. It's how Lucas said, I mean, why is he keeping this more or less the same players? It's because he doesn't trust these players. I mean, yeah, we'll talk more about Bournemouth and whatnot later, but, like, Brian Hill's finally getting a little bit of a look. I think it's a lot of it's due to circumstance. Dan Richarlison is not – if they weren't injured, Brian Hill wouldn't even get a sniff. He might against Nottingham Forest next week. That'd probably be it. But uh, my biggest – how John was saying earlier about team being not fit, I'm like – what was the whole summer for? How are they not fully operational by now? I mean, I don't get me wrong. He's finally been here for a little over a year, but I'm like preseason in theory, or like how he's making them run sprints across the field against uh, in Korea. And I'm like, you know, and all this other stuff. I'm like, how are they not, how are they not built up the endurance yet? Which is partially mind boggling. I do know, I mean, of course, how you guys, how I said before, general, same, similar crop of players have been playing. We've been playing almost two games a week. Again, depth issues. But other than that, I'm like. Well, uh, Tommy, what we do, do, do think back to like the Pochettino era, Pochettino era, where we would play uh, balls to the wall for like uh, match after match with the same exact squad. Week in, week out, and then by the end of the season, they just fizzled, um, and that happened in repeated Patrocino seasons. And I think Conte knows that we can't let that happen. And with the injuries, right. like 
we just kind of have to do this a little bit. But let's go to Yeah, Dan. I mean, oh, sorry, I'll yeah. be very brief. Um, no, but with the assessment of like, okay, let's kind of cool things down in the first half, kind of keep it together. I mean, don't get me wrong, looking shit in the first half for the ha- bunch of games, this makes a little more sense. It still isn't making any better, but sorry, go ahead, John. Well, I was going to say, I'm talking about um, Conte's reaction and saying, you know, these guys aren't ready yet. I'm not going to put them in yet. I think the case in point is Basuma. God, he's been playing in the Premiership. He was possibly the best midfielder in the Premiership for, for the last two or three years, if not uh, in the top three. And yet he doesn't get a look in when we start. Um, you know, the excuses were, well, he hasn't figured out our system yet. Now, come on. I mean, that seems very feeble. This guy's been playing in the Premiership for, with multiple different systems, depending on the opposition. And Conte saying, no, I'm not, he's not ready yet. And then he comes in and he starts to dominate um, and does a fantastic job. And it, I'm wondering whether the same thing will happen with Spence. Because certainly um, when Skip came on in the last game, I thought he was very credible. Um, did a very good job, but he's been out and he's getting his chance because of injuries to Hobier. But he's, he's, we've got a bigger squad than we had, and that's what we needed, and that's fine. And you can't use the same people over and over again, otherwise they'll get worn out by the end of the season. And I understand that Conte's got is juggling that, and I'm glad that's not my job. But Ultimately, I just don't think he's doing that very well. Um, what do you think, Lucas? No, I, I completely agree. I think that's that comes down to yes, you like having squad depth on paper is one thing, but squad depth is only as it's only as available as you use it. Um, and and I think Conti has again he's been trying to balance. And again, this is an extra weird year too because we have the World Cup smack in the middle of the season. So there's there's so many things that he's got to balance with. And I think one of the big things is this year, we, again, are back in Champions League. So we don't have what what would have been a couple of opportunities for guys to get their spots. Uh, like Conti's got a, in Conti's mind, he's probably thinking these guys have to earn their trust through actually going out there on the pitch and succeeding. But if that's the case, they're never going to get an opportunity because we haven't had, because of this year, we haven't had the League Cup which is something we usually have as an opportunity to get guys to run out in the past couple of years. It's been bullshit Europa games or bullshit Europa conference league games. Instead, now it's champions league. So we've had no opportunities for guys to get the usual runouts that they would have in past seasons. And this season it's been in Conti's mind. He's probably like, I don't know how I'm going to trust these guys if, if they're not succeeding on the pitch, but it's a catch 22. Cause it's like, well, how are they supposed to get their opportunities? Your depth is only as the depth is only there if you're actually going to use it. And I don't think we've done a good enough job rotating. And I think that's why we've had to do this conserve your energy status for the first half. And I think we've seen that in, I think, six of the last uh, in our last six games. I think we've looked pretty poor in the first half and then come out and given a solid effort in the second half. But I mean, we, we got to come up with some different strategy because that this is not something that's going to be sustainable. Tommy. Yeah, so I think my biggest and Lucas, you kind of touched on upon that with depth. We have a bigger squad this year, which helps. 
Um, Conte did say it's going to take two or three transfer windows for to be as, for the team to be fully competing, which I totally get. Even with Pochettino, it took us what at least two years to fully get rid of Deadwood the way that he wanted the team. You know, to get rid of Poole, Lennon, uh, etc. Adebayor. Oh yeah, Adebayor. Uh, I can't think of that Algerian midfielder that Tim Sherwood loved. Yeah, and so forth. <laughs> so. My thing, though, is Conte, he, it's not like him playing it, or it's not him managing Chelsea, Juventus, Inter, and so forth. He's managing Spurs. He's got to play the game under Levy's rules. He probably knew that coming in, or, and he probably got the, figured that out very quickly. So my thing is, we do have some more depth. Yeah, he might not trust a lot of these players, but the thing with him is, whether... I mean, if you're a high-profile manager like this, yeah, there's a little bit of ego and a lot of pride. He probably has to swallow his pride a little bit just because take that leap of faith, so to speak. Bring on these players on earlier. Let them, or let, you know, whether it be Harry Kane, Son, it's like a bunch of these players go all out for 60 minutes, 55, 60 minutes, then bring on the subs because how else are you going to create depth? It's, it's aside from having these players, you play them. You need to give them a run of games. You got to see what they have to offer. And in addition to that, though, we got what less than a month before the World Cup break. Bring these players in. Let's see what they have to offer. Because the other talking point with that is, say we bring in more of, say Spence isn't up to snuff for argument's sake, or we play a little more Dory. It's like, oh, this guy's you know garbage, or and whoever then Kant's going to be like, you know what? I played a bunch of these players. They don't look good. I don't, you know, and everybody knows that Conte's shelf life at any club is what, three, four years tops. So because of that, it's like, he's kind of have to roll the dice a little bit. And I'm wrong. World cup. And then January uh, transfer fees are going to be at a premium, but you, you sign Conte. There's a declaration of intent there that you want to win right now. So if Levy actually wants to follow through on this promise, yeah, he's going to have to overpay a little bit in the, in the, in the winter, but you can make a push for some cups, maybe hire the league, stabilize a little bit, and then next year, or then he can see some results. Maybe he picks up that option in the offseason, go for the kill in the summer, and then we'll see where that goes. Well, and that was going to be my point, Tommy, that – um, you know, Conti likes players ready now. Um, and if we're going to give him what he wants, he, he, ne he never use, uses young players that are up and coming because they, they tend to make more mistakes. Like he likes players that are experienced, that know what they're expected to do and, and can do that job game in, game out without error. Um, and, uh, we need to give that to him if we need it to, to kind of bring it back to Shub's question. Um, yeah, I think we need to make some moves in this this window and in a lot of places to to so, so that Conte has the players that he's confident with. Um, and even if we think he should be more confident with people like Spence, um, it's really not our call. I'd rather just give him the pieces that he he wants because if we're going to back him and 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 ride this out um we got to let him have the pieces that he wants um 
John, uh, bring it home on this, and I I do want yeah, to have well, just a couple minutes about the games themselves. Like, okay, uh, well, I, I, my point was that I was going to make was if you're both right, why is Royale still playing? I mean, yeah. that doesn't fit in with your scenario. Royale I, is quite honestly a liability, and I'm being oh, I'm being nice. But no, you're I, saying John, he's playing because he's got experience. Well, he hasn't really got a lot of experience, and he doesn't and play like three. Well, oh, John, I'll give you, it doesn't. Yeah, I'll it doesn't. You. It doesn't matter though. You you want to talk about these like individual games? Like he's Royale is not meant for the system. Simple no. as he's just not, and that's not something that he's going to learn. He's not all in the next couple of years. He's not just going to develop a like a know-how to attack and be an attacking wingback it's not something that's in his locker that's fine and that's not on him because that's not when we bought him we bought him to play for nuno but this is in conti's system i'm 100 percent with you john i don't get where uh, like if it's a trust issue it's like oh this is someone i trust it's like well really and we can yeah. throw him out there with davidson sanchez when those two are on the right there's a, it's it's horrifying, and there's a reason that, and I know we'll come on to Bournemouth, but the entire game was just beat. Like Bournemouth, Bournemouth wasn't even bothering sending players over there because they knew that no one was going to pass over there. It wasn't worth their time to defend over there. Like that has to be. You can't tell me that Conti's looking at that saying, "Well, Spence isn't ready." Like it can't be worse than that. So I, I don't know what. What his maybe it is like I think it was you Tommy that said maybe it's an ego thing like check your ego at the door but there there's something that has to change. I mean we 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 got to find a way to get some of this rotation and and find a way for these players to earn Conti's trust because we, we we can't continue the Doherty Sanchez show or, or excuse me the Royale Sanchez show on like a regular basis. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, but w- so what we have here is this uh, these two disappointing losses. Like, and imagine a world where, like, let's say we went away to Man U and we came away with a point. Like, we uh, we, we worked out a draw there and we uh, beat Newcastle at home as we, we, we should, despite the fact that they're an improving team, we should be able to beat them at our own home. We imagine the different position that we could have been in if it wasn't for these two games, like considering where we're at in the table and we're, we're, we're in third, but we have some people knocking on our door right now. And, uh, you know, we're not that far out of first if we had gotten points on, on those two games. So it's, uh, it's, it was a really disappointing period. Um, uh, John. Well, woulda, coulda, shoulda. We've been doing this for the last two or three seasons. At least I have. You know, you look and they're in a decent position and then they lose a couple of games and you're like, well, God, if we'd have won those, we'd have had six more points. We'd have been in first place and this, that and the other. Um, So I don't think that's any different. Um, If we're going to talk about the individual games, um, and to start with Manchester United, when uh, I was on the podcast prior to that game, I said, it depends which team Manchester United put out. And they put out the best team and they played fabulously, which they have not done in every game up until us, but they played a fantastic game and they've got their crowd behind them. And, uh, we should have been prepared for that, but we weren't. And, uh, it, it, it was almost a prediction if you like. And I said, if they're going to, if they really pull it out and play the way that they 
have on odd occasions, we're going to be in trouble. And we were. Yeah. And then and Newcastle was just kind of an unforgivable performance in my mind. Uh, um, I didn't get to see. Uh, I saw it in bits and pieces, but it was just the, the the parts that I was able to catch were just depressing. We were feckless, um, and we we shouldn't struggle that much against a team like Newcastle. It should at least be a good battle. Like if yeah, oh, you know, Anthony, if that's play, the thing, though. I think we're underestimating Newcastle a little bit here. I Eddie Howe, I think he, I think he can. He's a very solid manager. He's a capability to be a very good or even great manager. The way that he has the team playing, I mean, essentially, I was thinking about it after the man's man you lost with Newcastle. It's like those three, we're going to be in a dogfight to be for fourth place probably right now. So yeah, then- the fact that they, I mean, even last year, and I was actually very surprised at this. I'm like, you know, we're watching New. Sam and my other friend James were watching uh, Newcastle against Arsenal and one. It's like they're 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 safe. It's like, and then they murder Arsenal, and I'm like, they have no reason to be to even do anything like this just because it's like why? So the fact that he's got everybody's attention and they're pushing for everything, I'm like, I am not. I'm like, he's doing something right. So the fact that. I don't know. It's I. They have a very good squad right now, and I, to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not saying they'll get fourth, but if they did, don't be too surprised just because they're doing the right things right now. Uh, Lucas, uh, um, a response there, and then let's talk a little bit yeah. about sports. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into. I, I just I, I'm going to disagree. I just I don't think we dis, I don't think we underestimated Newcastle at all. I think. We were the better team by a landslide for 35 minutes, and then our goalkeeper made two of the dumbest mistakes you could ask, like, ever make, and that invited them in. And then in the second half, we, we took control again, got a goal, and just weren't able to ever really recover. But you take away us doing two dumb things, and that game was never out of control. We were always in control of that game. It wasn't, it wasn't as if it, – but it was similar to exactly what happened against Everton. In Everton – when we played Everton, they had we had two dumb moments at the back where we allowed them to have one-on-ones with our goalkeeper, and they skied both of their chances. When when that's the when that's the case, it's like when when you have that. We said, look, if if that was a better team, they could have capitalized, and we would have been in some real trouble. And then what did we do the next like two weeks later? We did the exact same thing. We allowed two of those chances, but this team wasn't Everton and they took advantage of it. And that's, that's the difference is we allowed them to have two freebies on us before we even got out of first gear, but we were always in control. It wasn't like there was someone that we needed to be worried about them coming and creating chances. We just gave them chances and you can't do that in the Premier League. doesn't matter if it's Newcastle. doesn't matter if it's Bournemouth, which we'll come on to like that's, we, we gave Bournemouth freebies as well. We have to find a way to stop giving these free opportunities to teams because it doesn't matter if it's Newcastle or even Fulham. We gave Fulham. We took our foot off the gas for one second, fell asleep. Fulham could have had two goals and they got one and they could have had a second within 90 seconds. So we, we have to find a way to stop just giving these teams freebies, especially at home. 
Yeah, I I agree with you, Luke. But the thing that was most disappointing to me was all the conversation prior to that about our home ground, whatever you want to call it these days, being a fortress. And we hadn't lost at home in God knows how long. And, you know, we've really done a good job of, of doing everything right at home. And we didn't against Newcastle. We didn't do it all right. And our fortress is demolished. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, let's let, talk a little bit about uh, sporting here. So um, Ch- Champions League, a very tight group. We we came into this match, I think, feeling confident in the home leg, even though we were kind of embarrassed in the away leg uh, uh, against sporting. Um, I didn't get to watch the first half because just the way dinner times were and when I, on my trip to Portugal, but I did catch the second, and I think I caught the, the half that was probably uh, worth watching. Um, but uh, let's talk about uh, – we're, we're inevitably going to have to go into this VAR, uh, uh, but we, we allowed ourselves to, to fall behind and, and need to catch up once again. And once that happened, we we started attacking in that second half, and um, we were able to get the, the the first goal back, and then uh, um, we still needed one more late. Um, uh, Lucas, well, I think the big thing too is if you look at any one of the Champions League games that we've played this year, I think you could make the case that once again we have not put together a ninety-minute shift in any one of these Champions League games. I mean. In the first one against Marseille, like we looked pretty just nonchalant for the first 45 minutes, and it took us getting a red card to actually get the man advantage, or them getting a red card to have us go score. And yet, like in when we played Sporting away, it was just fell asleep for two minutes and gave up two goals. Like Frankfurt couldn't put together get get a goal, and then Frankfurt again. It's like we had to go down one nil to actually wake ourselves up and get ourselves into the game and then once again it's like we have to go down one nil to wake ourselves up and get into the game against sporting this week and it's just it's become such a pattern that like we just it seems like we need that kick up the ass to just get somehow like invested in the game and it seems like we're just kind of going through the motions until it happens and it's cost us a lot of points and i know we'll get into the var bit but i'm like it's a real shame that we need to even talk about that. That could be something that we just had a laugh about being like, Oh, that should have been our fifth goal. Like, Oh, bummer. Like, Oh, well, instead it's like, that's the reason that we might not get into we that like you could point at that and be like, if we don't get the job done tomorrow, you could point at that and be like, well, that's why they didn't go through is where we, we should have had that taken care of. And I think just even when you look at like the Marcus Edwards goal, I'm like, there was just like four or five guys on that play that just like Dyer didn't do well enough. Hugo, I think could have shot it. That wasn't, or could have saved that. That wasn't like a worldy of a goal. That's something that I would, Hugo kind of got wrong footed. That's something I would expect someone of his caliber at shot stopping to actually defended. Um, But I, I think our center backs were very just, they were abysmal in the first half. And it, it was one of those where we had, possession we had stuff building and it kind of felt like things were eventually going to go our way but then you fall asleep for a few minutes and it's 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 that simple and i i think that's been a huge trend especially in the champions league and again it's if 
if we don't get the job done tomorrow, it's like we're going to have nobody to blame but ourselves. We can't look at VAR and say that was why. We have to be able to say, hey, we were the ones that fell asleep and slept walk through the first half in the first five games in our group stage. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Lucas. Um, the, and I was going to make a similar point. Uh, the VAR became so crucial because of the results of other games that we should have taken care of easily. And had we done that, as you said, we would have laughed off the VAR. Well, I'm not sure we would have laughed it off because, um, and we're going to talk about it a little bit later on, but it should not have been such a crucial call that would have made such a difference. We shouldn't have been put in that position in the first place. Well, let's talk about it now. Um, so this this VAR call, so um, we're all celebrating everywhere that we were. I had to, I, I, w- I was watching in a uh, sporting bar in uh, <laughs> Portugal, so I had to like, cover my mouth. I, like I, I let out a yelp and then I c- covered up. But, um, but we were all celebrating fully thinking that this is the victory goal. There was no nothing that any of us could see there that would suggest that it shouldn't be. Um, and then they start looking at it, and, you know, and they're, they're playing the video over and over again, and the time just keeps ticking away. And the amount of time that it took to, to come to this decision, which I still don't understand how that decision was made, uh, what, what a mess, uh, Tommy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I was celebrating in my head, but I'm like, part of me was like, I was so angered by the whole thing because how you guys mentioned, it's like, it didn't have to come to this. And I was like, it was more of a sigh of relief for me, if anything, because I'm like, okay, at least we get to advance to the knockout stage, blah, blah. And then it come, and then we finally see, they're like, you know, after every goal, you know, they go, they double check, see the still of Harry Kane being awesome. I was like, great, this is the end. The thing that angered me the most about that, though, is it took five minutes. I mean, essentially, that was like the last play of the game anyways, because it was at the fifth minute. So literally after they resumed play, like 20 seconds later, it was done. But I'm just like, they have, I'm like UEFA, Premier League, et cetera. They have to do something better to, to resolve this. Like, you know, not even at the stadium or like, you know how they do. In the, for me, I think the NHL is probably the most efficient way or the NFL Take it to Toronto, or you have somebody come over. You know, within a minute, you're good to go. Um, if you can't have, if you don't have that indisputable evidence, I mean, my opinion, I think it was pretty clear that Kane was offside, to me at least. So I'm like, whatever. But it's just, again, it's the life of a Spurs fan. Kind of have to roll with the punches, unfortunately. Uh, L- Lucas, I think you were next. Yeah, I'm. I'm yeah, I, I think Tommy's point was bang on, and I'll get to that in a second. But, like, for me, it, as far as the rule goes, like, I, to me, it just doesn't make sense. Like, okay, Kane was offsides. Well, it didn't go to Kane, did it? It went to Royale. And Royale played it off a defender. If you use the same logic, it's like, how come when – it happened a couple years ago for us. I forgot who we were playing, but, like, Kane was offside and got fouled, and the penalty was awarded. So you can be offside, the ball's – you can be offside when the ball gets played in, you get fouled, and you guys get a penalty out of it. But, like, but this, but when it, like, was not played to you and it was played to Royale, like, then you being offside matters. Like, it just doesn't make sense. 
But even if that is the rule, like whatever, I'm with Tommy on this. The most annoying part is this four, five minute nonsense. If you can't tell within 90, like, hell, 60 seconds. If it is not that, if it's not insanely egregious and completely wrong within 60 seconds, you should be able, with a, a couple of replays, a couple of different views, you should be able to see, wow, okay, we really messed that one up. Or ah, that was close enough, leave it off. Like you, you don't need, you don't need to spend four and a half minutes because everybody in the ground is then sitting like they, they don't get to see what's going on. It completely changes the atmosphere of the game. And I know that this was at the very end. So there wasn't like there was going to be many opportunities at the end anyway after that. But look at the, when we played West Ham away in the Premier League earlier this season, we were on top for the first 10 minutes and we looked like we were going to score. And then we got the penalty decision that get, was given off a handball. And then they spent like six minutes looking at it and then said, oh, no penalty. Well, now West Ham Stadium, now everyone in like, the stadium's rocking for West Ham. That, to them, is just, it's the equivalent of getting, like, a penalty save or, like, getting a goal themselves because now they've just got all the momentum and it switches things. Whereas, like, you should have looked at it for maybe 60 seconds tops and said, nope, nothing crazy about this, leave it. But, like, this, this five minutes of breakage to, like, dissect to the millimeter about shit is just so brutal and it's so counterproductive to the game. And it's just, yes, I, I want to just stress, I cannot stress enough that, that VAR is not the reason we didn't get three points. That was us. But like in, in terms of the health of the game in general, like they got to find a better system to do this shit. It's brutal. John, bring, bring the topic home. Well, I've got a couple more things to say about VAR. One, the offside rule was brought into the game in the first place to stop people goal hanging, being behind the defenders and sitting there and they get the ball and they put it in the net. All right, so they said we've got to do something about that and they introduced the offside rule. And I think for that purpose, it did it well. So then we move on to, our, to what was going on today. And you're absolutely right, Luke that if it takes that long, um, as I understand it, the offside, if it's a tie on the offside rule, then it goes to the attacker because they want to see more goals. Well, if you can't see that it's a tie in 30 seconds, 60 seconds or whatever, then it goes to the attacker. And uh, I don't understand why we have to go to the toenail type of decisions that we've made when the intention in the first place was to prevent something entirely different from happening. So if you bring that into perspective, um, we certainly, it's got to be addressed. Uh, and the other thing is that it takes the spontaneity out of your celebration, which is terrible. I mean, you're leaping up and down and having a great time when we scored a goal and then, oh, well, maybe it won't be a goal. And then you're sitting around for four minutes before they, four or five minutes before they tell you it isn't a goal. I mean, that's not right for the fans either. So I, I really think it needs to be addressed. I think the timing, how much time they spend needs to be addressed. And the fact that the attacker definitely gets the advantage if it is really close. Um, but once we if we get those two things right, then I think we'll be okay. But at the moment, it's not working the way it is. Yeah, well, uh, Anthony. Well, and then we, 
whether we blame Spurs or we blame this VAR decision, which I think was atrocious, um, horrible decision, it put us in the position of where we were at for this Bournemouth game. So let's talk about this Bournemouth game. So we're co- we come in with a highly rotated s- squad. Um, we uh, Ramiro's not available due to injury in the in the back. Um, we see Sanchez come on board. Dyer's rested. Um, uh, so so we're we're we're, we're utilizing a different back line than we've used all season. Um, and uh, um, we've got Skip in there, and we and we switch back to the uh, three five two, um, but with a without as much firepower other than Kane and Son there, um, uh, with this with the midfield options. And once again, we've we've talked about it. Emerson Royal is our uh, wing back and uh, looking very weak on that side. Um, so let's uh, let's talk about how this game sh- shook out with us going down two goals uh, uh, to them in the first half. Um, Lucas, yeah, I, I think before you even get into the whole us going down two nil, I think that to to me the thing that was really the most disappointing again was just that we we talked about the maybe it's us trying to conserve energy or something, but. To me, it's the, the lack of intensity and the lack of aggression. I mean, if you're not going to come out and attack Bournemouth, then who are we going to actually try and go attack? Like, this is Bournemouth. This isn't, this isn't, we're not playing United away. We're not playing City away or at Anfield. Like, this is Bournemouth away. You should come out after the three last performances that we had. We got embarrassed at United. We embarrassed ourselves against Newcastle. And then we had a really disappointing, sluggish start and a sluggish or and a disappointing result against sporting. And those were the three last like performances that we had. And then we come out against Bournemouth and we looked like that and we go down two nil. Like that was just, that was the part that was so backbreaking to me. It was just, just how we didn't have the intensity and that killer instinct that you see some of these teams like Liverpool and city that I know we're not on the same page as them yet, but th- these are teams that y- you see, they have that killer instinct where they come out and, just show their intent off this. Like when Liverpool played Bournemouth, they beat them what nine nil. And this is a team that we're saying we want to compete with for titles, and they're beating this team nine nil, and we're going down two nil. Like this is just it, we we have to have some kind of better mentality going into these games because uh, before you even dive into tactics, it just seemed like the effort wasn't there, and that's always a problem. I mean, I had mentioned earlier how. Yeah, we, we were able to control the ball a little bit, and it didn't seem like Bournemouth had anything going. And then we have a couple of really easy counterattacks for them to just walk through our midfield, and then our back line looks like they have no clue. Like, I don't even know what Sanchez was doing on that first goal. Like, this was it, – it was just – it was so just gut-wrenching to be a part of in that first half where you really wanted to come out and see us make a statement and – kind of show intent as to where we're going to try and be this year. And in that first half, it just, oh, it just, just ripped your heart out of your chest watching that effort. It's awful. Yeah. I, I'm with you a little bit. I did not see the lineup as a problem apart from Royale, who I have a real problem with. 
Um, but the rest of the team, we had a few injuries and we got fairly decent players in there. And but they had even though we had new players in there, we still had this lack of energy and lack of intensity that we've had in the past with the other guys in. So it, 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 I'm not so sure we can blame the uh, the new setup more as more as we can blame the the, the intensity of the players because we didn't really change all that much in the second half to get the goals apart from the way that the intensity that we were playing with. Um, I know he, sh- he shook some things on and it was good that he brought Musa on and I agree with that. Um, but I-, I don't see the setup and the squad and, and, and the lineup as being a bigger problem as the intensity. Yeah. Tommy. Yeah. So how you said the intensity, that's always my biggest thing. And um, I'm going to put it more a little nicely. Uh, the, the team's a little bit soft. And when I say a little, I mean very soft. Uh, and I'm, uh, I, I kind of want to backtrack a little bit from Sporting Lisbon. And Rick and I were shooting the breeze. And I'm like, if, we, if this team had an outfield captain, and I, I think Hugo's fine as a captain, but I'm like, he can't be in the outfield because he's a goalkeeper. If we had Roy Keane, Patrick Vera, John Terry, somebody with a strong personality, he's up in their face. They're going to be up in their face. He's going to be all like, do this, do that. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? It felt like there's no initiative whatsoever. And it angered me because of that. And how Lucas said, this is Bournemouth. Uh, Liverpool rolled them, you know, for nine goals. I'm like, I'm not saying we would have done nine goals, but I'm like, we could have at least had four in theory. Once Lucas Moore came on, what, right after halftime, it's like, again, we all know his limitations. But one of the things you cannot fault him for is that he does have the initiative. He goes for it. He takes on players, goes on the attack. He draws fouls and all that good stuff. So it's just, I mean, thankfully that helped kickstart things, but it's just, I, I don't know what, it's like, Going back in the first half, though, it's just like, you know, Sanchez, what are you doing? And everybody looks so listless. And it's I, – I've told people that I can't wait for Dayan to come back because he's like Lucas Mora, except he has a lot more quality. So, you know, you're – so, like, your emotions and how you're doing – it's contagious, so or at least to me, I feel like it is. So once Dion comes back, this will rub off on our people, and I think things might go back to what we've been used to. But like right now, it's just I feel we don't have any. Like yeah, Harry Kane, he's well, he's our vice captain, but he leads by example. He's not going to be the one yelling at everybody and all this stuff. And it's just I'm like right now, just with the way everything is going, I'm like get to the break, let Dion get yeah. healthy, let Richarlison yeah. get healthy we and get so that, forth. We get and that creativity back, right, Tommy? Yeah. Well, not, well, that's not even the, like for me, told many people this many time, many times, it's like, I, I get par- partially it's because we don't lack, we lack the fitness and we're kind of drained a little bit. But my thing is, if you put in the effort, I'm not going to yell at you. I feel like whether it be Bournemouth in the first half, even parts of the second half, 
the string of games. It's like we lacked a lot of it early on. And then finally something happens and it kickstarts everything, of course. But it's, I mean, I've been, I've been with this team for 20 years. So I'm stuck with them. But I, do I want, I, 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 I'm so desperate for something to change with or without Dayon, without Richarlison, et cetera. It's like, Who's going to take the reins and be this leader? I think that's a big issue for me. Lucas, you had your hand up. What do you got? Yeah, for me, again, it's I. It comes back to the midfield in the sense that it, it's such a problem that we're not able to create. I mean, look at we. What do we have? Like, do you remember our first shot on target in that game? Like, I, I can tell you, it wasn't. Was was it within the first thirty minutes? Like, were we already down one nil before we had a shot on target? Like. That's something that, again, is this pattern that we see time in and time again. I agree with you, Tom. I think the leadership thing is a problem. But for me, it's just I, – I, I thought we did a great – like, we, we have, like, the rotation with putting Skip in. I thought Skip played great. I thought Basuma did some things well, but he had a couple of poor decisions and he gave the ball away a few times. And I think that one of the things that he used to be the best at, which is breaking up the play and actually preventing a team from countering – he didn't do at all. Um, so it, it was just a really weird one where we, it just seemed like we were expecting Bournemouth to just bend over and let us go earn, like just go get our free goals. Like we didn't well, seem, be, Oh God. I, I was just, I was just going to say to be fair, like they didn't have a whole lot of chances. I mean, they, they only no, had no. Ex- exactly. the whole game and Four of them were on target. Two of them were goals. I, yeah, and, and, and I'm 100% with you there. That's the whole thing. That's what that's what it's been. That's what this first half was. That was the first half against Sporting. That was the first half against Newcastle. That was the first half against Everton. That was the first half against Leicester. When we won 6-2 at Leicester, Leicester's only two goals in the first half were because Madison chunked one off his shin and Sanchez gave him a free goal on a penalty. So it's like we haven't been forcing teams to earn it on us in the first half. We've been being the better team, controlling the ball, kind of dictating the way we want things to go. And then we just fall asleep for a few seconds here or there and end up going into halftime down 1-0 or down 2-0 or down or, – or having to scrap our way back. Like even Frankfurt, like we fell asleep, let Frankfurt go up 1-0, and we had to scratch and claw and like all of a sudden kick it into a different gear – to make sure that we weren't losing going into halftime. So it, it's when we have this mentality as to like, we're going to kind of coast our way through the first half. That's fine. That's what we're going to do, but you can't have these like just mental lapses. If that's the strategy that we're going to play, we have to be sharp as hell when we don't have the ball. And when we get sucked into these quick counter opportunities, because someone like Bournemouth was never going to actually control the ball and create something and drive it down our throat. That was never going to happen. We have the quality, even in our rotation, guys like Skippy, guys like Basuma, guys like even Langley or Davis. Like these are guys, even, even Dave, Davis, he is a good enough defender where in theory, he should be able to go out and do his job against a team like Bournemouth. We're not asking you to cover like man city attackers. Like we're asking you to just do your job, make sure you, keep a short back line against Bournemouth and we just fall asleep in these first halves and it's put us under the sword where we now have to go try and give a hundred times the effort than we could have had in the second half and we're fighting an uphill battle. 
Well, John, give us a, like a final point and then we'll go to MVP. Yeah, I know it feels like we're beating a dead horse, but um, yeah, the, these these performances are so erratic and so different. I mean, it's like watching a different, when they're playing well, it's like watching a completely different team, but the same players are out there. And when we're playing badly, um, it's the same players out there and we're just not playing well. I if we don't get over this inconsistency, we will not have a good year. We'll have a very disappointing year. If we can get past that and start to play well for an entire game, we're going to be a force to be reckoned with. No, good, good shout there. And and to be fair, like uh, we were a force in this second half. Uh, we had to be to be able to come back, and we and we did get uh, three. Three uh, second half goals. Uh, first one Ryan Sessignon, second Ben Davis, and then Bentecourt came on late in in uh, extra time. Uh, so um, we did pull through on this one. Uh, so that 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 is a positive. Uh, Lucas, uh, jump in there with kind yeah, of like real, real quick. Yeah, I just wanted to say I know I know this this whole first half we've been we've been pretty negative because of the week the way we've been playing. So all four of us here have just been kind of beating a dead horse with the negativity. And I think what you just touched on is what I was going to say is at the end of the day, it is something that you can be proud of is the fact that we did come out in that second half and we showed a lot of good character in that second half. And I think, well, would you have 20 corners or something that we had? So it was, it was a really impressive second half. I know Bournemouth kind of parked the bus a little bit, but uh, we showed a lot of fight and a lot of character that, um, we didn't see in previous second half. So I'm really glad that we kind of clearly everyone was fighting for Conti and we got the job done. So that's at the end of the day, we can all be happy about that at least. Tommy respond to that and then give us your MVP. Sure. Um, so I'll be brief with my point then do MVP. Um, the fact that we kind of built the character test our resolve one, three, two in the end. Okay. That's great. You know, over, you know, the people keep saying this is our best start since the 63-64 season. A little bit sad because it's, what, almost, what, 60 years, give or take, almost 60 years. But one of the things that, or at least I like to re reassure myself with is a lot of great teams can win ugly. And, like, you don't have to always win pretty. So, like, that gives me a little hope. And when John said earlier that... Once we actually are firing on all cylinders, which has not happened yet this season, but if and when we do, this could really be fun to watch. I'm still waiting, of course. It's just hopefully it's right before we hit the uh, international break for the World Cup, but we'll see. Um, in terms of MVP, I don't like to give it out to subs because usually they don't play the whole game, but I'm giving it to Ben Core. I felt like during this rough patch, he has been the brightest spot when he came on. I mean, not it's not even the goal that got us there. I think, um, but I'll get to that in a minute. But I'm like, kind of kept things together. He, we got things under control when he came on. So that was the best thing. And then with the goal, of course, not the prettiest goal. But for me, a lot of things, or when it comes to some shots, it's like, placement over power and that's what he did so thankful for that yeah good shout there uh let's go to lucas next 
Yeah, my MVPs, Benton Core. I mean, just enough said. I think he was really, really impressive when he came on, and I think he made a. I was so happy that he was able to get the goal. So, um, and I love the fact that we had our three goal scorers be Sesson Young, Benton Core, and uh, Ben Davis. So I'm like, I don't yeah. think anybody in our predictions had that scoreline right. So that was fun for everyone. But yeah. I thought Bentecourt was fantastic. Uh, John? Well, I'm going to make it three in a row with Bentecourt, but I was torn between him and Sessignon. So I think that Bentecourt nips it, but I would certainly give Sessignon an honourable mention. I thought he had a very good game and took a very nice goal. Well, uh, John, I will take uh, Sessignon as my MVP. Um, I thought he had a, a really good performance. He was playing hard. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing, driving to the line. He was uh, making crosses. And he played on both wings in this match. Like uh, the, when Royal came off and they switched him over there, him and Perisic were swapping back and forth, which was something that uh, was really nice to see. Like, uh, we had two quality wing backs on. Just one is uh, too old, and uh, one is kind of just stepping into this uh, role under Conte now. Um, but I think Sessignon deserves a lot of credit for uh, for this game, not just because of the goal, but because of the overall performance. But he was my MVP. Uh, LVP for this one. Uh, does anybody have anybody that isn't named Emerson Royal? I was nope. actually going to say I was going to say Sanchez personally. I mean, oh, yeah, Sanchez. I, well, yeah. So I thought Sanchez. Well, what was more I mean, embarrassing, though, Sanchez's attempt on that first goal, or Royale putting a ball literally out of the stadium on that like turn and whatever that volley effort was that he launched four hundred yards wide and over the goal. That was one of the worst things I've seen in a very long time. I was praying he was going to be called offsides for that so that it wouldn't. I was just oh, that was. Oh yes, mine's Royale. Uh, yeah, I'm. I've got Royale as well. I think um, I don't know if it was happening at the ground, but certainly in the Atlantic, every time he went down injured, everybody seemed to be encouraged and hope that he wouldn't be coming back on the field, um, which is a little bit nasty. But I think it's indicative of how the fans feel about him. Um, he's just not doing the job, and he's not good enough. Um, and I've heard people say, well, Doherty's not as good defensively as Royale. Well, I don't know how bad Royale it's got to be to be worse defensively than um, than Doherty. Um, so that doesn't hold water for me. So undoubtedly, Royale. Yeah, no, I, good shout there. And I think you've probably put the words in. in, in you've said it all for me, uh, Royale's mind. Um well, I think this is a good place to go to halftime. Uh, the second half, um, we are going to preview both the tomorrow's Champions League match against Marseille and then the weekend match against Liverpool. Uh, and we'll have one more uh, brief topic to talk about uh, after we come out of the half. But first, let's go to Luke's Locks. Luke's Locks! All right, all right. Welcome to Luke's Locks. First up... We are going to take over two and a half goals in the game between Leeds and Bournemouth up at Ellen Road this weekend. 
Bournemouth have a few capable players in attack, as we've just learned this past Saturday, unfortunately. Uh, and they'll be looking to avenge that heartbreaking loss to Tottenham Hotspur with a strong performance against Leeds. I think we'll see an open game and a confident Leeds or a confident lead side who just came off a good win against Liverpool. So I think we'll see plenty of goals to take over Leeds, Bournemouth, two and a half. Next up, we're going to take Man City minus two and a half at home against Fulham. I know this is a really big spread to give out, but uh, Fulham have had a good stretch of results in their last four games. They're unbeaten. Um, but they're going up against a very different animal in Man City and a Man City team that had an underwhelming game against Leicester this weekend. So I think we'll see a very clinical and uh, a very clinical Man City side that will cruise to a comfortable win at home by multiple goals. So say City minus two and a half. All right, third play of the week is going to be Man United away minus a half goal at Aston Villa. Villa have been conceding a lot of goals as of late in their last run of games. Uh, I think we'll see an aggressive Man City side looking to, or excuse me, Man United side looking to exploit that. Uh, United are unbeaten in their last five games, and I don't expect that to change this week. So take United to get all three points on the road at Villa Park. All right, last up. And as much as this one pains me to give out as a pick, uh, it has to be Liverpool minus a half goal on the road at our beloved Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, Liverpool is coming off a tough loss to Leeds, and I cannot for the life of me remember the last time that they lost consecutive lead games. So this one's got to be a no-brainer. Spurs have yet to put together a 90-minute shift, and unfortunately, you're not going to beat Liverpool without putting in an absolute classic great 90-minute performance. So as much as I'd like to be wrong here, uh, this one's a no-brainer. You're going to take Liverpool minus the half goal away at Spurs. There you have it. There's your free money and your free picks of the week. Let's go get rich, kids. Well, thanks as always, Lucas. Uh, we're going to roll right into the conversation here uh, before we preview these two matches. Uh, so this uh, Times uh, sports article came out uh, today um, where uh, British politicians have called on uh, Spurs uh, to cut ties with uh, a main sponsor, our shirt sponsor, a AIA, um, ac also accusing the club of collaborating with supporters of human rights abuses in Hong Kong. Um, so... Um, they're calling on us to to remove them as a sponsor, um, and I suppose find a new sponsor. Uh, my my opinion on this is uh, I, I dislike these types of uh, human rights stories, and I certainly wouldn't mind a, a better sponsor with a, a better human rights um, um, history, I guess. Um, but I also think that this is a little bit uh, ridiculous, given that the, uh, we have teams in the league that are run by, have been run by oligarchs, Russian oligarchs that have human rights abuses. We have uh, Saudi Arabian uh, governments, essentially, uh, that are involved with clubs. We have um, oil giants that uh, have abuses uh, on their hands. I just don't see how that... Spurs are the ones that have to uh, do something different. But um, you have a little bit more information on this, right, John? Yes, I do. I've done some I've done some checking and some investigation. And I think a lot of uh, fans don't really understand who AIA are to start with. 
So they are a massive Asian insurer. Um, they're a huge, huge corporation providing life insurance to people outside in Europe. Um, the allegations have been made by an organization called Kick Out Coal. Um, Kick Out Coal is an organization trying to close all mines across the world because of the working conditions that the miners have to work in. So why would you say a uh, uh, life insurer would have anything to do with Kick Out Coal? Well, as most corporations of their size, they have investments and they have investments in mine organizations. So it's a little bit of a stretch. And finally, the way I, because I think this is really absurd, I'd just like to read you the corporate statement of AIA. And that is, we're purpose driven to help people live healthier, longer, better lives by making a significant positive impact for the communities we serve across Asia. So if that's, if that's the way they think as a corporation, um, I, these allegations of, of investment, and maybe they're not direct investments, maybe they invest in some other people who invest in these. It, it seems a real stretch and we're not being picked out. It's just this kick out coal organization is, uh, is digging, if you'll pardon the pun, for as much uh, uh, rubbish they can find on corporations. So I, I, I don't give it a lot of credence, frankly. Lucas? Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, we we kind of touched on it uh, the four of us before we even went on. Um, I just I think that something I had brought up too is where where's the line? And to me, it just it seems so silly. And I, I think that because we're Spurs, we're the easiest target. But I, I I didn't hear anybody in the UK government or anyone being upset about the fact that Saudi Arabia's government basically just bought Newcastle. And that's a place where I don't know if they just changed it, but like women haven't been allowed to drive in that country. Uh, you have, but apparently it's okay that England's going to go play in the World Cup because Qatar has what just a impeccable record of human services. Like, not, like just where where do we draw the line? I think it's so silly that like it's not like AIA is running some kind of like some camps or so it's it's just it's to me it's just it feels like they're just reaching to cancel something and if if that's the case and that is something that like we're going to be the reason that like if, if aia gets canceled because of us like then i'm like i got a list of people that should be getting canceled down the line that are all Premier League sponsors like you had mentioned yourself like we had russian oligarchs not a word was said about that to chelsea like so it's just to me it just it seems so silly and it just seems like uh, a big stretch for no reason. Tommy? Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. There is a little bit of whataboutism from us. Like Lucas did say, I mean, I think it kind of comes with the territory of being a Spurs fan. We're easy targets. As long as I've been a fan, we've been easy targets. Probably not going to change anytime soon. So, I mean, whether it be <clears throat> banking uh, or like, I mean, with the pending Google sponsorship. I mean, they treat a lot of their employees unwell. They have had allegations of sexism. Say if we had Apple, it's like with they have a contract with Foxconn and their Foxconn's in China. You know, they treat their employees terribly and a lot of them are committing suicide. Our outfitters, 
I mean, they have sweatshops from where my parents are from. You know, as Lucas would say, where is the line? I'm like, you know, it's any, and it, it's as terrible as it sounds, any form of sponsorship, unless we're laying Orient and being sponsored by Harry Kane, that's probably the only one where a sponsorship would be clean or like Aston Villa years ago, sponsoring acorns, which is a hospice charity, you know? So unfortunately, if you're getting big money, where it be, you know, Man City with Eddie Hod, Saudi Arabian government with Newcastle, you know, flight Emirates with Arsenal, Real Madrid, AC Milan, et cetera. It's just, it's where the money is and they're going to, I mean, that's how they get their money. They're stepping on toes. They're doing what, you know, not doing some savory things, unfortunately. John? Well, I'd just like to say that in March of last year, in 2021, AIA agreed to pull out of coal investments by 2028. So they were aware of the issue. They've got a plan to pull out. Um, so I think the only thing people can complain about now is that they're not pulling out quickly enough. But it, it, again, it's a stretch. But they'd already made an agreement to move away from that investment. That was always my problem when I was much younger, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that happens to the best I was waiting to see who was going to go there, and I was, like, I was like, God, if I had a nickel for every time. But, um, but let's move the conversation along to uh, the, this Marseille match. We're only going to spend a couple of minutes because it's tomorrow. By the time our listeners are listening, um, we probably will have already played this game. But let's just say this is a very important game match now because of um, uh, that sporting result ending in a draw. Now this is a very tight group. Um, there are paths where we could lose and still advance, um, but uh, we're only a point uh, ahead in the the group here. So this is really a must win for everybody um, in in the group. So this this is shaking up to be a very important uh, final match of the group stage. Um, I think, um, I think John, you had your hand up first. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to say that I spent about half an hour today trying to figure out what all the, um, uh, how it could all work out. And I failed. So I finally went on and found somebody that had worked it out before me. And and fundamentally what it happens is if we win, we're through. If we lose, we'll possibly be not only out of the Champions League, but out of the Europa Cup. So it very, you know, I can't remember the last time a team was in top place in their group um, in the Champions League and with one match to go and in fact was eliminated from both Europa Cup and the Champions League. If we draw, there's a chance that we will go through to the Champions League uh, last 16 and or there is a chance that we could go down to the Europa Cup. But uh, it, it, it's very, it, it's basically a cup final. We must win. We've got to play balls to the wall for the entire time and go for it. And I don't see any other option. What do you and think? That's why, and that's why we set up the, uh, the way we did against uh, Bournemouth. Go ahead, Lucas. Well, <clears throat> the, the nice thing is to actually, the one thing, John, I'm pretty sure that if we draw, we're automatically through. So if we win, we win the group. If we draw, we'll know. If we draw, we'll finish at the minimum of second because we're ahead of both. We're ahead of both Sporting and Frankfurt, and they can't both win to jump us. 
So right. Oh, like sorry. I'll... So if if we draw, we should be automatically through at the very minimum of winning second in our group. Yeah, I'll chime right. in right there. Uh, points right now: Spurs eight, Sporting uh, Lisbon and Eintracht Frankfurt. They're playing together against each other tomorrow. Both have seven. So if one of them wins, they leapfrog. They get ten points. If we tie tomorrow, we get nine. So, so yeah, if a, a draw not the worst thing sees us through to the, a draw automatically sees us through to the round of uh, sixteen, which I think is. So I have two schools of thought on this. A half of my head is thinking, uh oh, we're going away in Europe, and that's something that has been really shitty for us in the last God knows how many years. We don't do well away in Europe. Um, but that being said, I think the advantage is because John had kind of alluded to there that this group is so chaotic where you have Marseille has six. It's the, it's eight, seven, seven and six. So Marseille could win the group tomorrow or they could finish fourth. Like it's that much of a toss up, but it's on them to come bring the game to us and try to win. We don't need to win. We can draw. They need a win. They cannot get through with a draw. So this means that they're going to have to come out and try and pour the game onto us, which we've seen in the past. That usually works very beneficially in our favor. We are one of the scariest counterattacking teams. So if, if that's going to be the case, I think we'll see us set up pretty defensively and try and hit them on the break with some counterattacks, which is something that we're really, really good at. And we're going to be, but we're going to be doing it without Kulishevsky, without Ramiro, without um, uh, Charleston. Charleston, yeah. Uh, and that's okay. Ahead. And we, we we've seen Kane and Son figured out before before we even had those guys. So it might be might be a bit of an old school, but I think we'll see us hit, hit them on the break, and we'll get some goals. Uh, Tommy, uh, br- bring it yeah. home and give us your prediction. Sure. Okay. Um. So the other possibility that could happen is. We lose. Sporting and Iron Trunk Frankfurt actually tie. Never want to bet on that. But here's the thing: goal differential. Sporting they're with zero. Iron Trunk Frankfurt negative two. So if they tie, goal differential stays the same. We have plus one right now. Spoof for thought. Um, uh, for, just first tiebreaker. First tiebreaker though, Tommy is uh, is a head-to-head though in the Champions League. Ah, Christ. Okay, no, then we have to go said, for it. So that if, if, if we lose and Frankfurt were to draw, we'd both have eight points. And we took four out of six points against them. Yeah, so that would so be... So Marseille okay. would win the group. Sporting would be out. Well, but, oh, no, but head to head Sporting would jump us. See, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, we, so yeah, we have we, to we win. Can't, we have to... No, we just have to get a draw. We just can't oh, lose. Oh, yes, good call. That's it. We just can't lose, and we go through. But I don't... The thing is, I don't want that mentality playing a tie. You know, we got to go for the kill, which is leadership no, but, issues. But, but, but that's we, a whole other. But we don't, and we don't know how to do that. Yeah, but so um, let's let's invite them onto us, and let's let's play the game that we would very much like to play. We don't have to go out and try and beat them. That's their job. They have to go right. and try and beat us. They have to try and break us down, and it's on them to figure that out. And while they're trying to figure that out, we can hit them on the break, which is something that we are one of the best teams in Europe at doing. So right. I am all for so, that. Like, let them come uh, at us. So I'll be, again, very brief. Um, Gordon Marseille, Stad Velodrome, that is an unsavory place to be, not because Marseille is a dangerous place. Their fans are nuts. Um, the stadium is raucous. Uh, so we have to go for it. Um, to finalize my thought, 
I wouldn't mind going for a counter. I would also not be surprised if Brian Heal features heavily. Hopefully he gets a good 20, 30 minutes uh, because, A, he's fast. He's got a lot of skill. And he doesn't know any better because he wants to prove a point with Antonio Conte. Um, with that, I still am not vigilant in having Spurs win. So I will predict a 1-1 draw with Sun scoring the goal. Okay. Uh, John, what do you have for predictions? I'm just totally conflicted and and mad. Uh, I'm angry that the game is that England have put their clocks back, so I have to wait another hour in anguish of getting onto this game. Um, it won't be hit on in Chicago until three o'clock, which means I'll spend all day worrying about it. Um, so I. And I've said this before, and I'm sorry to repeat myself, but if we come out and play like we have done at times, we will take this game. If we do not, we can draw it or even lose it. And so having said that, um, I guess what I'm saying is uh, I think we could win, lose or draw this game. Um, Having said that, I've got to be the optimist and say that we will pull out a win because we absolutely need it. I think it will be 2-1. They'll probably score first. And then the old stalwarts of uh, Son and Kane will put us in the uh, in the last 16. So that's what I'm going for. Okay, 2-1. Lucas, what do you have for predictions? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go 1-1. Uh, I think we go behind uh, early because... That's what we do apparently now. Uh, but I think Kane finds one late and we get a 1-1 draw. And it'll be very reminiscent of like that Barcelona game where we went through in 2019. The Barcelona away, the 1-1 draw that saw us get through and eventually take us to the Champions League final. But that last day at the group stage, we needed that point. I think it's going to be very, very similar to that. Okay, I like it. Uh, I think... Um... I think Conte works the defensive team really hard after the, some of the errors. Um, we have uh, a slightly rested Eric Dyer who hasn't um, seen much rest this uh, season um, uh, coming back in. Um, and I think we pull out a, a one nil victory. I think we keep them off the board altogether and, uh, and it takes us a lot of work to get the one goal that we need, but we, we do probably on the back of uh, Harry Kane, uh, either on a set piece or a penalty, uh, but but we pull out the victory. It's not the prettiest game in the world, but we advance. Uh, that's kind of my uh, prediction there. Um, let's move the conversation along to uh, this uh, weekend. So we take on uh, Liverpool at home on Sunday, November 6th. So, um, you know, as we know, uh, Liverpool is not in the the best of form this season. Um, They're currently sitting in ninth place in the league. Uh, That's uh, four wins, four draws, four losses, 16 points. Um, They did lose to Leeds this weekend, uh, 2-1, but they beat Ajax uh, in the Champions League prior to that, lost to Forest. So, I mean, they're they're losing to teams that are – uh, much worse than us, but then they beat West Ham and beat City going backwards. So it's been kind of like a mixed bag with them. Um, we know that Firmino is their top goal scorer right now. Salah is actually just a little bit behind him. Um, 
but uh, they're they're not as impressive as they've been in the past. And we did draw them both times we faced them last year. Um, so go. Where are you guys at on this Liverpool match? Well, to me, Liverpool are a perennial pain in the ass, and we never seem to be able to get it together against them, whether they're playing well or whether they're not. And that appears to have had an impact on some other games this season as well. Now, yes, they lost to Leeds at home, which is, you know, I don't know how you could have predicted that. I don't think even Lucas Locks predicted that. But um, it's going to be it's going to be difficult because traditionally it's going to be difficult and we're going to have that in our mind. Um, away at Liverpool, I'd like uh, I'd like to say that we're going to win. I think a draw would be a good result for us um, to get us back in to, to uh, you know, playing better. Uh, once again, if the, the right team shows up, we'll beat them. But I'm not confident on that. So I'm going to go with a one all um, with one all on that. And it, uh, we'll just have to we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, who's your goal scorer since you gave a prediction? Uh, Cessignon is going to get a goal. Okay, uh, Lucas, where are you feeling on this uh, Liverpool match? Oh, again, the big thing for me is it comes down to that. It's because it, you you had mentioned that. Well, you know, they're not in great form as of late. And I'm like, you know, I actually wish they were because this is the most this is the most classic version of how this plays out. It's the same thing we see year in and year out, and it's not just Liverpool. It's Arsenal away. It's Chelsea away. It's United away, and it's Liverpool home and away, and it's. It's just we, we show up with that mentality where it doesn't matter how crappy they're playing. It doesn't matter how bad their run of form is. It's just we show up with this mentality of uh, we're happy to be here. And they show up thinking, oh, well, it's Spurs. Like, we can take advantage. So it doesn't matter if they've played the worst six games of their lives. They'll show up at White Hart Lane and just be like, well, we're ready to rock because it's Spurs. And we'll just show up and let them like have their way with us. That's that seems to be the way that it always is. And un- until until we as a group of players prove that we can actually have the mental fortitude to get past these mental blocks, until that's like shown to me, I I just have to predict a loss every time. It's it's Liverpool. They're gonna beat us just because. Um and uh, it'll be two one and Kane will score off okay. a header or something off a off a set piece. <laughs> I hope you're wrong, but yeah. Oh, but I hope I, I'm wrong more than anything on the planet. But I'm like, until they prove me wrong and they say, "Hey, we can get over these mental hurdles," like I, I just, it's it's just time and time again, I just get these gut punches. So, gotta predict it. Tommy. Yeah, I'm predicting a loss as well. Same score, one to two. Um, Hoiberg actually scores, um, and I'll kind of just say my brief two cents. It's always which Spurs will stand up and show up. And the thing with that is Dayon or Charleston are out. Yeah, we're playing at home. Crowd's going to be up for it. Is the team going to be up for it? I'm hedging my bets and I'm going to say no. Again, prove me wrong. But I don't know. It's just, and I've said it before, or I said it earlier, my biggest issue is what's the team going to do? But also, can is Conte going to, play some other team or play a different team. I'm going to say, I think he's probably going to put his best team forward just because we're playing Nottingham Forest that Tuesday on the League Cup. So 
Probably not, but as usual, we'll see. Do we do we know if uh, any of the guys? I know they weren't in training yesterday. Um, any of the injured players? Uh, are they anticipating a return by uh, the weekend? I have no idea. I heard Dingen might be out until after the World or during. He won't be operational until the uh, middle of the World Cup break. So maybe Richarlison. So Richarlison, thank, thank God. Well, put, thank God, Dayon doesn't have to go to that weird tournament in Qatar because his team's not that good. So it's, well, it's really good that he gets to stick around and spend his time in London. Probably because he didn't do so well for Sweden. Yeah. yeah. Well, the the only report. Yeah, all the reports I've read have only been about the game tomorrow, not about the future. Um, but uh, they've said that uh, Richarlison's probably out until after the World Cup. Um, which is not going to be that great. Kuvaleski's had a, had a setback in his recovery, and as for Romero, I think he was he was a possible maybe for Sunday, and now they've ruled him out. So he doesn't sound he may well be back by uh, Saturday I, or Sunday I, next week. But um, I think Romero, I think he's mentally been in Qatar this entire for the last couple of weeks. It seems like Romero's been mentally checked out, and he's kind of getting himself ready for the World Cup. Yeah, I feel like there's and and I don't just mean to single him out. I think we'll see that across the league and a lot of different players where. This is something we'll see where guys are just kind of mentally, they're mentally checking out and just getting themselves ready because it's it, at this point it's like it's such a quick transition into the World Cup that it's one weird ankle twist or one something like that. Like these guys don't want to do that, so I think we'll see a lot of guys be the exact well, of the caliber that I just criticized Romero for. Like I think we'll see a lot of guys be mentally checked out at this point and just trying to make sure that they're safe for the World Cup. Yeah, well, I, um, I'm going to be the optimist here. Um, like th- this is a wounded bird, uh, Liverpool, but Liverpool always does give us trouble. Um, but uh, th- th- a lot of the World Cups predictions that you're 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 making, like people checking out, they have a lot of those issues too. They have a lot of players that need to play for their team, um, so th- they could be looking ahead to that as well. Uh, I'm I'm gonna be the optimist and say that we win this two-one. Um, r- really tight game, but we just uh, pull out a, a, a couple of goals. Uh, um, maybe one's a dodgy uh, penalty that uh, that their fans are gonna gripe about and uh, complain about. That that's the only reason they lost because that seems like a Liverpool thing to do. Um, um, that'll probably be Harry Kane's goal. And I think uh, Sun gets a nice breakaway goal here and uh, um, and scores the 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 winner for us. Um, and and we all have a great day out. And I'm super hopeful, but not overly confident that that's going to be the result. Um, um, any final thoughts uh, uh, on everything in the episode? Keep, keeping this brief because we do have to wrap this up. Any final thoughts uh, on the week that was and the week that's coming? No, everybody's good. Yeah, I think we've said it all. It's like uh, <laughs> we're kind of at that point. Um, uh, just a couple weeks away from this World Cup. Uh, maybe maybe it will be a good break as much as none of us want to see it happen for what it does to the, the league. Uh, but at least 
some of this congestion goes away for us. Um, and uh, maybe we can reset after it and start looking at that transfer window that Conte needs that Shubes was talking about in the first half. Um, uh, but I think this is a good place to close out. Um, so I'm Anthony. You can find me on Twitter at Callahan42, K-A-L-I-H-A-N 42. Um, Tommy, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Handle is Lily White Coys. Uh, Lucas, where can we find you? Uh, Twitter, Instagram, same as uh, same handle. Uh, Lucas Ruske, L-U-C-A-S-R-U-S-K-E. Again, get at me. I'd love to talk to them anytime. So, <clears throat> John, John, where can we find you? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm finally on Twitter, John Howard four ninety seven. So, oh, excellent. So we'll definitely have to check you out there. Um, uh, but that about wraps it up. So thank you so much for, to Tommy for editing tonight, Charlie for the music, Sam for social media, Kimberly for the logo, and as always, the Atlantic Bar and Grill. Um, we'll be back there recording again, uh, if not next week soon. Uh, find us on our many platforms, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Hit the subscribe button on those platforms and rate us a review where you can. Um, uh, find us on our Twitter and Facebook at Four Star Spurs and our website at, at fourstarspurs.com. Come on, Spurs.